0: We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly Din, Dilly to... Dong, come on.
1: Into
2: Sherringham and Shochar has <laughs> won it!
3: I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kerning.
1: Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Cornean. Something different this week, we're joined by a panel of high school coaches, Nicole Arsenal, Dan Rudolph, Nick Martin, Adam Scott, and then Gerard Jones also joining us from Ulearnbley, founder of Online Learning Space for Coaches. Please check out ulearnbley.com. Brilliant new initiative from Gerard. The objective of this conversation is to look at some specifics Of high school coaching in preparation for our virtual high school coaches conference on January 8th. All day, 13 guest speakers. Please check it out. Early registration is now open. Special offer before December 20th. You get a special offer if you join up. Some brilliant speakers, just to name a couple Donna Fisher, Todd Bean, Oliver Gage. Cody Royal, check it out modernsoccercoach.com slash shop check out all the speakers and then get yourself the ticket before december 20th to take advantage of the early registration let me know what you think of this conversation first time we've ever done a panel we'd love to hear your thoughts at gary Kernin on instagram at gary Kernine on twitter also make sure you check out ULearnblade.com. thank you so much Thank you for joining us on the modern soccer coach podcast today uh, our first ever like virtual panel that we've done on the podcast we're so excited to put this together The idea of it is to give a little bit more clarity and perspective towards challenges specific challenges that high school coaches are facing around the country. We're joined by five different coaches right four different coaches and then we're joined by an outside perspective as well. Um, our our coaches are Nick from McCallum High School, Nicole from Boys High School, uh, Boise High School, Adam from Pembroke High School, and Dan from Hingham High School. So we've got Massachusetts, we've got Idaho, we've got Texas, and then we've got our uh, our English coach, consultant, perspective uh, educator, who's going to give us some some background as well. So. Uh, This is all geared towards, for me, um, from a personal point of view, making the the upcoming virtual coaches conference as specific as we can be with still putting together some content and still trying to, to hit as many areas that high school coaches can benefit. So I am really, really grateful to all the coaches for jumping on today. I'll give them all a complimentary pass for the event. Um, and I really help thank them for for helping us try and make the event as beneficial as possible and as specific as possible for for the the coaches and attendance. So uh, we'll get started. we'll We'll start off. We've got three topics. We want coaches to talk about their problems and then talk about how they they navigate around those problems. so the the first topic is preseason, short preseason time or short preparation time before the first game. So, the first stop is Nick. Nick, how do, first off, do you deal with a short uh, period of, of preparation to game, short preseason time? And if you do, what, how bad does that look?
4: I, I think we're lucky in the South in that soccer is a winter sport. You can't do it in Idaho outside in the winter. That um, And I have a soccer class. So, I'm fortunate about 85, 90% of my boys are in one of two soccer classes and we meet we meet every other day in class and so we have plenty of time to prepare our official first day of practice is not until the first monday after thanksgiving though Uh, so we don't have official practices after school until the monday after thanksgiving but before that so we have we have a lot more time i figure than most other high school coaches uh, around the country.
1: Wow! So you have a specific. So you can you can get all your team to register in this class, and you actually get extra time with them.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're really lucky. We're we're really lucky. Um,
1: and this. The, sorry, Nick. What what would that class look like? I mean, can you give us a week or a topic or a curriculum overview?
4: So, it, it COVID has changed everything. Uh, COVID has absolutely changed everything. So this year we did absolutely everything outside. And I would just do at the beginning of the year, we would try to be doing uh, games, uh, small games that uh, increased our fitness. Uh, everything We, we try to do everything with the ball. We have 90-minute classes. Uh, it turns out to be about 70 minutes, uh, 65 minutes outside every other day. Uh, we then go to general topics, like I might be doing something general of first and second defender. It'll be with me uh, generally alone because my top assistant is also our football coach who's in season with football. So he has limited time with me. So it's me with about 30 boys ranging from uh, academy level to boys who are brand new to the sport. So it's it's everybody. It's all ranges. And so we have to keep things big, big topics. And then we get more focused when we finally are with teams of similar
1: uh, abilities. Fantastic. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, Nicole, what does the preseason period look like for you?
3: So official preseason for us is about two weeks max, typically 10 to 12 days. So it's very shortened. We're allowed to have open plays during the summer um, and that can start. But between... Club Far West Regionals, ECNL events, GA events. Uh, the consistency of attendance is really variable.
1: Yeah, let's talk about attendance. Is that, are you restricted from, can everyone come? Is it like you can, two hour practice, you can do it every day or do you have, do you have restrictions with people and do you have restrictions with time?
3: Um, COVID obviously changed some of our restrictions, but we're working back to just whoever wants to show up can show up as long as they're an incoming ninth through 12th grader
1: is two weeks enough is it too short is it just right it's not enough
3: it's not enough um i mean when you think about it storming forming norming right that's before you play your first game 10 days um so it's just it's absolutely insane
1: uh tryouts do you have do you do that there is that included in that window
3: Yeah, first two to three days of typically tryouts, yeah.
1: Wow, wow. Yeah. So you're still in the the storming phase probably three weeks into the season?
3: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Luckily, being around it long enough, I've been able to find different ways to start going out during the spring and identifying. We're in the fall season only. So spring and identifying players where we can hopefully um, know what's coming in um, and have less – predictability within the pool.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Well, that's leading the way so far as the toughest preseason time. Adam, what have you got for us?
2: Yeah, pretty similar in Massachusetts, really. I mean, obviously the weather is what it is. Um, We we had trials this year. Uh, They moved it up early, if you can call it early. It was August 23rd, 24th, 25th. Our first game was September 10th. We don't really touch Sundays. Um, kind of the school systems, I think, feel like you know, don't don't touch Sundays as a day to train or to play games. Um, and and then with that said, Labor Day's in there. And so as a coach, it's really like the last sort of long weekend before most of these kids really hit school uh, full time. So I usually give them that weekend off anyway. Just do something on Friday that's heavy. But um, for for us, it's scrimmages in that in that window between the tryouts and then a few scrimmages just to try to get a sense of where we are tactically. And um, I think for me, one of the biggest parts I've learned is trying to exit a season as we just did do individual meetings with all the players who are going to be returning, try to give them individual feedback, a little bit of, you know, takeaways as like, these are the things I think are possible for you. These are the great, you know, great moments that you had this past year. Um, Maybe we can look to think about what might come next year and really try to push them individually to, to improve their game and to take a little bit of initiative while I can't see them. I cannot touch a ball with them or be around a, a, the football with them in the off season whatsoever. I can meet with them in the spring because uh, we have a fall season. So I can, I'll meet with them in the spring as a group of people that want to maybe try out for next year. And I'll talk to about our off season sort of program and, and what we do, whether that's hitting the weight room um, or it's like the, we don't call it captain's practices anymore. It's voluntary workouts trying to create that schedule of like, here's some camp stuff that you can do. I don't mandate it. I can't. um, But I try to empower the captains. I try to get them to rally the troops a bit. I try to make sure that the kids understand that if they are individually working um, to improve their game and to take the the next steps in their individual game, um, that collectively we're going to benefit. And I really have got to the point um, over the last few years where I don't touch fitness whatsoever in my preseason. The expectation is that the boys show up and they're ready to go um so that i'm not like trying to find ways to i certainly can build fitness into a training session but um it's so quick that even with the scrimmages that even that next day is a bit of recovery isn't it so mm-hmm. it is a hard one when you condense it and this past season um not that records are everything but i think we went 15 two and one and the two losses that we had were in the first four games of the season <laughs> Because it was we weren't, I don't think we were fully there yet. We played, actually played Dan's program at Hingham and and we ran up against it. A really good outfit, really good team. But it was like we were man, you know, by the schedule, that's that's sort of who we had. So I, I don't think we're a really fully polished team until we get to the to the middle of the season, to be fair. Dan,
1: you've you've obviously got the same set of restrictions there. I'll ask you a kind of different question. I mean, that was really, really good from Adam there, talking about the player development piece and independence. But obviously with a with that short time there's there's gonna be s and c worries or concerns and load and all that there. I mean you i'm I'm assuming you don't have an s c coach
0: yeah we we don't have a strength and conditioning coach as high school coaches we have to wear all those hats. Um, so
1: so uh, so talk us through like to what Nicole saying there may be ten days maybe when you give or take the tryouts and those Sundays and maybe it's nine, eight days. I mean, are you cognizant of too much too soon? How do you kind of structure your intensity around that?
0: You know, I was listening to Adam talk. I'm very much of the same mind as Adam. Um, I don't like running fitness sessions in my preseason. My philosophy is let's get them on day one. Let's build our identity. Let the kids get used to my methods. Um, Don't even waste a day on fitness. So I'm really very much of the same mind as Adam when it comes to that um i don't run fitness sessions just one of my mentors taught me that a long time ago it's like don't waste a day just start start training they're going to get fit by playing so
1: yeah i mean the, the volume of games right i mean you're you're when you start you're starting probably what three two three games a week in in majority of high school seasons
0: yeah i mean that's moving on to right a later topic but yeah mm-hmm. um that's a whole different topic. Like once we're in the season, um, yeah, you have to be really smart. I mean, you can't, yeah, we, we have about three games a week, sometimes two, two or three a week during the season.
1: Okay. Well, with all that there, uh, we'll let Gerard set up here and, uh, solve it all for us to start with the time jar. Like is this something you've done a little bit of work in the U S you've been in the U S Morocco, different cultures, England, um, is, it, is it a common problem today with just lack of preparation time and a, and a heavy game schedule coming up? How, what are some things coaches should be aware of there?
5: Yes, yeah, so, sorry for my uh, lack of voice, <laughs> which I've lost. But absolutely, and I think, ultimately, the, the challenges are the same. Now, I was making a few notes because it was, I, I've experienced very similar things to a lot of you guys, and, and, and in particular, Nicole, and even when I worked as a high school coach before, um, I can't remember if it was Michigan where it might have been the girls were in the fall and the boys were in the spring or the other way around. I think in New York, it was definitely a, a fall sport. Um, but there was issues where it was... I remember getting appointed so short sure that, that never mind the the actual pre-season being short, but I only just got appointed into the role. So I had literally no time. The biggest things that we did were games within games. So we were using a lot of possession-based games, thinking about the physical loading. So how we'd stretch players physically within a game, whether that's certain time constraints. So you could use a a constraint where you want in fast explosive work, or if you're working more on endurance and possession-based work, longer duration, um, we would do a lot of that. I'd be setting a lot of challenges with players So that would stretch them not just cognitively, but physically. So in certain practices, I would design it where I'd be training things like our our core values. So 1v1 duels, quick free kicks. So whenever the ball went out of play, and I would do this even at the pro level and international level, ball goes out of play, it must be a 1v1 duel. So straight away, who's going to be the first person to react to get the ball back in play? Even if it was uh, you, Gary, who gave the ball away, If I'm going, hang on a minute, I can get that ball there. It's a sprint. But then what might happen is Nicole's chasing me behind. So now there's a 1v1 duel that's quite intense on the outside. Can we get the ball down? Quick free kick, boom, restart the practice. And even by the ball constantly coming in, the intensity is quite high. So we would do things around that. Um, And even just thinking about, again, and the reason why I mentioned all the stuff before is because whether you're working at a grassroots level high school level, um, which is some of the stuff that I've definitely done like you guys, or working at some of the other levels that you mentioned before, Gary, there's always going to be those sort of cultural influences that you've got to be mindful of, those social, cultural influences that have an effect on your pre-season. So I'd be thinking about how can I manage my time really effectively to get the most impact? So what's going to be the biggest quick wins? And it might be how I use certain feedback with certain players where I'm planting enough seeds that they know exactly what we want when we get to a game day or even in preparation for the season or, or in future years, to be honest. Um, and then the other thing was just thinking about how I could set players certain homework. So in the, in the pre-season, we would be doing a lot on... Uh, and I think this is applicable to the high school sport as well. They'll know who they're playing against because they'll play against each other in, the, in the, the normal seasons, right? At the club level. So they'll know the opposition. They'll know their strengths and weaknesses. And they all group together. Um, I won't be focused too much on the opposition. I'll be more focused on what we are and what we're strong at. But I'd certainly be saying to the players, how do you think we can cause them a problem? What, what could be some of the solutions today? What's going to cause us the biggest issue in this game? And I'd be even asking them, what are going to be some of the difficult games that we're going to face? Rank them. I did this even in America at high school level. It worked really well. Where the players actually ranked. you know what, this game is going to be an easy, an easy win. This game, that's going to be a problem. But then I was actually more interested in, well, why do you think that's going to be an easy win? Because what you don't want them to do from a, a psych perspective is take the foot off the gas. So I'd be thinking about that. I'd be always thinking about the mindset of, why do you think that's easy? Yeah, but we always beat that team. We always get points on that game. Yeah, but don't assume that you will this year. So we've got to, you know, and people are always watching you because the opposition are always trying to think, what's your high school doing? How can I prepare for that next game? Especially if they meet you in the playoffs, have they got some sort of homework on you? So I'd be using little things like that for the preseason. Hopefully that answers your question.
1: Hello, coaches. We'll take a quick break here. Please go ahead and check out our virtual conference for high school coaches on January 8th. It's an all day event. There's going to be 13 guest speakers. It's a TED talk presentation type layout where they've got 25 to 30 minutes for a specific presentation that impacts high school coaching. And then we turn it over to an interactive format where we discuss it and share some ideas and perspectives amongst the coaches. So please. Take advantage of the early registration offer, modernsoccercoach.com shop. I will do a special offer as well on this podcast. If you buy a ticket for the event and you shoot me an email, gary at modernsoccercoach.com, I will take care of your assistant coach. And if you're fortunate enough to have more than one assistant coach, I will take care of your whole staff. So please let me know. Gary at ModernSoccerCoach.com. Check out the Virtual High School Coaches Conference on January 8th. Some brilliant guest speakers, Cody Royal, Donna Fisher, Oliver Gage, Nicole Siderka, Todd Bean and plenty more. Check it out, ModernSoccerCoach.com. Thank you so much. Topic two is <laughs> state of play. And what we're looking here is to see what are the tactical challenges that you have in in communicating or or getting across your game model if it's a possession based game uh, is it the game schedule is it the conditions of the field is it the again the, the the type of opponents you're playing but can you can you talk a little bit about tactically start with you nick about where you see your biggest challenges in in getting across the type of game you want to play
4: I would say, pardon me, uh, around the city here, uh, there's very high-level coaching, I feel. There's a very strong, strong club presence. There's a new uh, MLS team, Austin FC, and their academy setting up. And so the style of play is uh, a very modern possession attacking game that that we're coming across we had a team meeting in fact today we had our 1st inter intra-squad scrimmage yesterday and i was talking with my varsity about how you know what we need to improve and uh, we're pretty similar in terms of uh, tactically how we approach a game within you know within reason sometimes though we will find and i'd be interested to hear from the other coaches um i've gone against coaches who are 10 times better than me but who just play a hunkering back and then a route one game because they know with the talent they have that they can't do anything else and this is their best chance at success.
1: Interesting. So, so you feel that the the game is evolving in te- Texas because of the general level, the club level's improving and the the overall level. And it's becoming more of a. It's easier to get that high school or sorry that possession based in high school.
4: I think so. In fact, I was telling them I became a, the JV coach at our high school in 99. And uh, back then, we were the sweeper stopper, hoofing it up, you know, winger, you know, those, those, those cleats better be chalky. You know, you got to stay out there. And then, you know, and then you send in to the tallest guy you put up top, regardless of his quality. Um, but things have changed. Things have changed. And I think it's a, it's a change for the better. The, the style is prettier. Uh, the kids have more fun. Um, what kid doesn't want to try to attack? I mean, and 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 let's do that and let's make it look beautiful as best we can.
1: Brilliant. Great great way to start it. Uh, Nicole, uh, do you share those experiences with, with yourself or is it, is it a little bit different?
3: So here it's a little different. Um, a lot of what was mentioned before about the players knowing each other comes into play. Um, the biggest challenge for me becomes how do you keep your identity and your style of play, but still adapt to the known opponents. Um, so with limited time and limited training opportunities and two to three games a week, typically it's a lot of video work. It's a lot of um, just reiterating the why we do what we do and acknowledging when we, you know, sometimes during games at half times the why that we switched and started panicking versus sticking to what really works for us. Um, and it's some trial and error, especially during that preseason and that front half of the season for us, for sure.
1: Very interesting. Do you have, uh, what type of access do you have in terms of the the scouting and the video analysis?
3: Um, so we typically use the VAO system just to do that. And, um, we have an NFHS network that will videotape and record games that'll allow us to do that. Typically, we, we play the opponent twice. Um, so sometimes it's nice to be able to use the first game in order to prepare for the second game. And then coaches-wise, they're all over the board. We've got coaches that have been there for 20 years who are teachers in the area. And then we've got coaches like myself who are you know coaching high school because in my role, I can't coach in a club um so it's all over the board in terms of style and and predictability
1: brilliant adam dan i haven't done this on purpose but i'd like to see you know with with the intensity of of playing those big games early and the the competitiveness of those games straight from the bat like within two weeks you're in the league play and all that is that difficult then to get, we'll start with you, Adam, is that difficult to get the tactical bit through with all that competition coming so early?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's, uh, I think Nicole might have mentioned trial and error, right? I think that's part of the season, right? Some years you'll graduate 10 seniors and you, you start starting core maybe is gone and you're now like, okay, well, let's bring this group in. And you're like, I'm going to go four 3 3 and I'm going to do this and that. And then you get out there and you're like, whoa, no. Right. I think coaching is is you know it was just doing some grassroots uh, courses and reflecting right and evaluating so we get into the season and we think we want to play a certain style in a certain way and then we're tinkering with it um, and I've learned quite a bit from my players right i've got uh, we i have a bunch of all in football soccer guys who love the game and they're uber committed and 95% of them are playing club at a high level so I'll ask them how you feel about some of those games, what worked, what didn't work. And we tinkered and I allowed probably our best players to tell me that coach I actually feel like I'm probably better as a false nine. I can sit in between the lines a little bit and I can get on the ball. And I was like, okay. And, and so all of a sudden we kind of find that identity as somebody mentioned earlier in the call. And uh, and then we kind of grow as, as a unit and we're able to now kind of tinker a little bit as we go and and fine tune. And we talk about tightening the screw a little bit. Um, so yeah, t- games, the hardest competition early can be really hard and difficult. It can also be a massive lesson, right? Mm-hmm. So that you all of a sudden you see, because you play against the better teams and the stronger teams, you see where maybe your deficiencies, you see some areas where you can really kind of fine tune and grow. Um, and I almost prefer that early and take a few losses or take a few, you know, hard ones, then come out the gate and go flying four and zero and beat up on teams. And, and then you really think, you know, who you are, then all of a sudden you get punched in the face at some point during the season. And, and now you're struggling. So yeah, I am I think it's all part and parcel to, to the season. It's a roll of the dice too. The schedule is not created by any of us as coaches. It's all of a sudden you get it and you're like two weeks before the season or so. And you're like, oh, this is exciting. We're going to play Hingham on, in the first game or what have you. So every year is different. Every year is unique. And whether that's the players in your squad or uh, you, you know, the opposition that lines up against you. And to be fair, all those teams change too. So even though you might have the VO video, I, I do the same thing. I've got VO. So I'll have all the film from last this past season but it'll be very different from team to team when you watch those you can't really expect it to be completely the same every year
1: great point I'm sure the players probably enjoy getting into games quickly don't they like players at every level just enjoy matches and in that schedule over preseason season training so yeah. I just a lot of it from there um we'll go on to to Dan here Dan the question I wanted to ask you would can it be sometimes difficult when it's games results 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 can it be difficult to keep people into the mode of progress uh, big picture methodology all that there can results sometimes get get too much into the conversation
0: well even you know a game's a learning opportunity right mm-hmm. so you hope that your team is better at the end of a game than at the beginning of a game even if it's not a good result so you can build tactics you can build your identity in a game, whether you win, whether you lose. Um, I'm not sure if that answers that. Is that?
1: No, absolutely. Uh, it's just a, a case of then, you know, because sometimes, again, it's not just about the confidence of losing a game, but sometimes you can win a game big, right? And and it can be a little bit of a mismatch. How, how do you, uh, yeah, in that one, how do you try and communicate that there to the team that, yeah, maybe there's still a big picture here that we want to improve tactically?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Um, Whether you're losing a big game, losing a game big or winning a game big, there's still teachable moments or a close game. There's teachable moments in any game, Um, whether it's tucking a guy in, certain attacking patterns that fit into your formation. There's always teachable moments. And so you should use every game to teach just like you were going to in a practice.
1: Fantastic. Gerard, we'll bring you in. I, I want to follow up on something Nicole said and the challenge of balancing improving your model, your style against adapting to the opponents and the scouting and, and in that little grey area, that murky area in such a short turnaround time. What, what would some ways that you would deal with that there?
5: Well, Some of the stuff that we've always tried to do is focus more on what are our principles. I know Adam mentioned about identity, but we would often think about, obviously, what are the principles of the game, but what are the principles of how we want to play? What is it that we're going to do? And I would be designing things around that, so we're always reinforcing those things. Because, obviously, there's a lot of modern trends going on that we're all aware of. We're aware that certain teams, you know, whether it's pressing, counter-pressing, how they'll play through the press... Um again, universality in pressing and cat pressing has been around for many years, but the fact that players are playing with a lot more fluidity, I don't, I don't know if you'll see a lot of this at the high school level, but even if we take Man City the other day, where, and there've been obviously a lot of Guardiola's teams, they will have a, a natural number nine or a centre forward. They'll play with players in deeper positions, they'll control central areas, overload central areas. Um So for me, I'll be thinking around What are our principles? But then how are we going to train those habits? Because we want good habits. The whole point of training is to to elevate standards and to form good habits. And obviously, we would be looking a lot on, again, what are the opposition doing? But more so, counterbalancing that with what are we going to do? What's our strengths? And how can we outplay them? So how can we dominate and outplay? And with that as well, when we're training, we're always trying to think about, how can we get it to the best maximum it can possibly be? So similar to what Nicole talked about and even Adam, if the opposition are doing something, one of your coaches, or if it's just you, you've got to manage the opposition to recreate that same problem. So we'd be doing that in training where we're literally recreating that same scenario and give us a problem to solve. And then we'd work with our team to to solve that problem. I think it's so important that within your match prep, and your opposition analysis. I know you do this, Gary, as well. Your language is really important because that will influence what principles you're training, but also that the picture in the mind of the player and what they see in that moment and the solutions they can come up with. So I'd be really careful around. So whenever we prepped, and this is the same with, um, to give you a story with Oshan Roberts, who's obviously now at Crystal Palace, as a sister of he was my... um, technical director with the Moroccan FA. And he used to be really careful on the language and the principle he was working on to a real meticulous detail. So he'd be asking, why are we working on that? How are we going to phrase it? What does it look like? And for how long? And what are we expecting to see? And he would even be going into the detail of what does bad look like? What could go wrong? So straight away, he's thinking about the what if, and he's thinking about playing in the future and that was a great piece because the players even with the Moroccan national teams and with the Welsh national team we saw the Euros and even some of the stuff that we've seen this season with Crystal Palace they're always sort of being very creative and playing ahead you know ahead playing in the future so you're being unpredictable to the opposition I think that's a huge part rather than being predictable can we develop players to be an orthodox?
1: Very good. Yeah, we've almost opened it up to another. I'm writing down other, other topics. We may have to jump back on here next week and do another one of these on match day and tra- session design. We'll go back to the, the third topic there. That was brilliant, Gerard. Uh, the third topic, which is self-development. Obviously, you guys are wearing it. Uh, I think it was Adam said it. I have I've wrote it down. I didn't write who said it. We're wearing number of hats how do you find time nick are you i know you do a brilliant job with with definitely a modern soccer co everything you're you're signed up for all the webinars everything we do i mean how difficult is it to to kind of to find time for your own self-development and is that a challenge throughout the year is, is some months bet easier than others or how do you navigate through that
4: well for me uh i opted uh yeah when i was much younger uh, for a life and decided to not coach club. So I only have, uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, I'm our Latin teacher at our high school and then our soccer coach. Uh, so when our season ends, which is in uh, late March, uh, I am officially done with games. So I have a, a fair amount of time for coaching development uh, that I have to, you know, that I work around. Uh, my family schedule. And what I have found is I just have to ask. When I did my uh, years ago, when I did my national diploma with Vince Gansberg, I just kept in touch with him and I would just ask him questions. And he w- he's so generous with his time. He would always answer back. Uh, I'm lucky to have UT Austin literally, you know, blocks away from our campus and Ange Kelly is the head coach there, and she is insanely generous with her time, as are her staff. And I will just call them, and I'll say, I have this problem. How do you address this problem? And they give me very specific reasons, and I ask them how, why, you know, and I just, and I've found those kind of questions when I ask. Uh, I've learned so much more, and that's when I've really found myself developed with these long conversations I've had with local coaches. I have a buddy who's now uh, one of the Austin FC uh, Academy coaches. And we talked for 45 minutes last night. And I was asking, what do you see? What do you look for in this? And so for me, it's a lot of the informal uh, conversations and just reading books and watching as many games as I possibly can. And that's how I find the development. But for me again, It's just being uh, willing, humble, whatever the right word is, to admit you don't know and to ask those who are better than you so that you can grow as a coach.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Sounds like you're you're really, really aggressive and, and looking for those, not just looking at opportunities, but also looking for feedback from people as well.
4: When you're not in a club situation... I'm I'm by myself on my campus. Mm. I don't have people to knock ideas around. Mm. So I have to find those people to do that. And if I want to improve, I have to be, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but diligent, mm. determined about it. So, awesome. And it's sad. worked well. It's worked well looking back at how much I've developed over the past decade.
1: Um, Nicole, where's your challenges in the development side? Do you have any challenges in the
3: development side? Um, I think there's always challenges on the development side. I don't think uh, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think we've got it all answered uh, from the day to day. Um, For me, because of it being such a condensed season, a lot of it isn't informal opportunities to grow the education. There's an, an occasional like college credit continuing ed type. Um, course that the ADs will throw out to us, but mostly for us with our, within our culture, it's mentoring and reflecting in terms of as a collaborative group and a staff, um, just to try and continue to evolve and get better.
1: And, and what does that, does that look like a, a community, a small community? Of, is that uh, something that you change the mentor every week or how does that work?
3: So typically for me, there's one to two coming in and out um, during, say, their C course or a D course, or they've just gone through a grassroots and they want some additional minutes. So they'll come in and hang out on our sideline. But as a collective group, it's our varsity and sub-varsity staff that meets regularly and kind of just reflects and gives each other feedback. Um, it works pretty well.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. So you're you're also then looking at, you know, getting a set of eyes on your work and then also lending yours to someone else's work as well?
3: Yeah, because I don't think, you know, with just a singular input, we can catch all of the dynamics, especially in such a condensed schedule.
1: Adam, in the Northeast, obviously is a rich, rich soccer community, um, there seems to be a lot of stuff going on up there, education opportunities, but but lack of time and all that other stuff that we're dealing with as coaches, how do you navigate through that there of finding ways to to get better yourself
2: yeah i mean my past job I, I worked for a club i was a doc and uh we were an affiliate of liverpool's international academy setup so uh, fantastic education opportunity there from like the likes of mcbeal and that but um now I, i'm a lead director for like one of our largest you know club soccer leagues in new england and so i'm now sort of you know running schedules in, in the league format and structure and one of the things that i Recognized was that we didn't have enough coach education opportunities for our coaches in in our region. We were sort of relying on the state association to put those on. So we made a significant um, sort of initiative to try to add more um, coach education opportunities for all and to do that in a calendar that made sense. I always felt like a lot of the coach education opportunities that were around were like during your club soccer calendar or during, like in this case, your high school uh, season. So it would land on a weekend and you need to dedicate all the time or if the higher the licenses, obviously you've got to do a lot more work, right? So um, the the COVID, COVID experience has changed a lot for the, the virtual, which has been a little bit unique, right? So I did a D license over last summer um, that we put on and it was virtual and you met Wednesday nights from nine to 11 and then you did the in-person and you were there for a day and you, and you knocked it out, but it was a great experience. And so my job now is outside of high school was pushing as many coach education opportunities that I can I can with U.S. Club Soccer and USSF to put out to the club coaches in the area. But then those are really available to any coach or anybody that was looking for more education. So um we've got all the grassroots. we got C-License coming up in, in 2022. I uh, got La Liga Methodology coming up in 2022. And we've got a, a coach locally that is, um runs Welsh F.A. courses. So we've got C-License there as well. So I think more education, the better. As Nicole so rightly said, right, none of us have a real firm understanding exactly how things should go. There's always room for, room for growth and there needs to be more opportunity. And, and to that, to that point, we lack for female coaches in our region and we put on women only courses. Uh, Cause I think on the, on the, the, the girl's side in high school, there's a, there's some girls coaches, but many of the, the coaches are males. And I, I think for me personally, it's one of those things where we need more um, sort of female and women coaches that can be good role models for the kids and and for the players, and so even stuff like that uh, is important uh, to try to find and and push forward. And we're actually thinking about doing uh, some coaching courses for kids. So you get your high school kids, right, high school age players that maybe want to start getting into coaching and education, and perhaps put on some grassroots courses for them too, and have them be a part of the the educational process as well.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. How's how's the response been for the for the female courses?
0: Awesome.
2: Good. Yeah, it just it's been great. We we actually created and, and I know this is a little bit off topic, but we created a women's advisory committee so that we had, you know, women that could basically work with me and talk to me about things that they think that are important because um, it has been um, a little bit of an old boys club, to be fair. Um, But they've been very well received and and um and we're looking to continue to do more and um hopefully we can be part of the, the, the solution rather than, you know, status quo as it's been.
1: Dan, what, what does it look like for you? What does a year schedule look like in terms of your development and improvement?
0: Yeah, the last three years, I've gone the USSF route, um, United States Soccer Federation, and the MYSA, the Mass Youth Soccer Association, has a great director, Ian Mulliner. Um, he's a world-class educator. The education I've got in the D and the C license, I feel like it's a world-class education. Very challenging Um, I just came off about six months, a lot of, lot of hours. And um, so that's where I fit it in. It has nothing to do with my high school schedule. It went from about March all the way through the end of August. And so I got a club to work with and video and use the veil and all that. But it's a really great education that Ian does. He's a really great teacher.
1: Where are you in your pathway at the minute?
0: I just got my C. Okay.
1: So as you go up, it starts to get a bit more, because um, I'm working with a couple of coaches now that are in, in that C slash B bracket and the time requirements start to creep up and creep up a little bit more and more.
0: The C was uh, C was hundreds of hours. Yeah. Hundreds of hours.
1: Mostly uh, remotely, mostly remote work,
0: COVID? Yeah, this year it was a lot of online. Uh, we did have a four-day in person at the headquarters in Lancaster. Mm. It was a lot of online. Uh, you got to take videos of you coaching your teams and send it in for evaluation. And yeah. it was Brilliant.
1: awesome. Brilliant. Yeah. Along those lines, then bringing in, uh, bringing in Gerard when, uh, to, to Dan and Adam there about this new remote kind of COVID we've been pushed into, a, a different form of learning, uh, your work in Morocco and feel free to share both your, your work in Morocco and your new project with you learn uh, where do you see coach education? Where has it moved in the last 12 months? And give us a little bit of insight there.
5: Well, it's interesting. I think I think more federations will probably go online. Um, we're seeing a massive shift towards blended learning. And there's certainly a lot of benefits with that. Um, of course, it's so important. You've got to be competent on the grass. You have to be effective on the grass. And practical is so vital. But you know covid there's a lot of positives that have come out of it because it's made people realize that there are a lot of stuff that we can actually do online you know even there was things that i was pushing for years ago where i was saying we're spending far too many hours in a classroom doing this stuff and it's long and it's boring and it's a tick box exercise and actually we can do that online or we can do it virtually or in half the time so i think it's probably helped us realize that save a lot of costs um, and, and the interactions that you can get online and the virtual discussions, which I think are as equally as beneficial or as valuable. Um, I mean, it was interesting because in Morocco, very different to the rest of the world, we did do stuff online, of course, we did, and we did a lot of um, as they call it, video conferences. But most of our stuff was in person because we weren't the rules were very different in the country, so were very different to what was going on in Europe and in America, we were, we were still having people come to the complex. They'd have to do a COVID test, of course, but we were very much, you know, in all day, every day. Um, and what, what impressed me the most was the amount of hours they do. Like, it was incredible. But they have a lot of breaks, so they'll break it up. And I think that's a huge key, is having that informal learning time. So not everything's sat down, sat in a classroom, but we'd be doing a lot of flip chart stuff, a lot of interactive, very informal. We'd have slides as a guide, but pretty much we would go around the needs of the group. And some of the questions that we were getting, that's where the conversation would go. And it's not that you're going off on tangents, you're actually going based on where the curiosity is. If you have to reel it in, of course you would. Or we'd have like um, a pocket wall where we'll try and revisit that later. Mm. But ultimately we would let the, the candidates drive the course, and that was really powerful. And we would have loads of coffee breaks. I mean, they love the coffee in Morocco. So you're constantly having coffee, you constantly having, you know, like little mini siestas like in Spain. But it's actually, honestly, it's incredible how much you retain in terms of knowledge. So when I think about how we structured the course, I never felt, as, a, as an elite coach educator, I never felt stressed, not once. Some of the stuff that I'm trying to do now at You Learn and some of the other things is around going more beyond the X's and O's. Because I think a lot of coaches tend to focus on the tactics. And in, I know individual tactics are important as well as teams. But for me, um, it's really important that we go beyond the X's and O's. So if we look at, well, everyone mentioned it, but even some of the stuff that, you know, Nick and Dan, you were talking about. You know, that obsession to no more spending 45 minutes on the phone with one guy talking about whatever, some of the other experiences you've had in mass and all the other stuff that are important around the environment, the practice design, whatever it may be. That's the stuff that we need to get better at. You know, if because if we're not good at that, if we're not good at relationships or anything else, it doesn't matter how much we focus on X's and O's and positional play or whatever else. And we sort of like pretty much threw that out the window in Morocco. It was quite good because we were given a blank canvas of go and design the best education, what you think it could look like. And I was really excited by that because we obviously went, all right, well, what do coaches need to get better at? Um, What makes the game different? What do we think the future game will look like? Try and be curious and think about what would you want the future game to look like? What does the future player look like? Not just for you and your identity and your profile, but try and preparing players for the game of tomorrow what's going to be the biggest um, difference that I can add a value on as a uh, make a significant impact on that person's life because we only really get one proper run at it, and we, what we don't want to do is we don't want to be their last coach you know so often we're very good at whether it's in coaching or in coach education, informing people. But how often do we inspire and involve? So can we involve them in the process and inspire them so they're curious and they go away and ask more questions? And that's a lot of the stuff that, you know, I'm doing and obviously I've done in Morocco and, and some of the things that I'm really passionate about. So to our top class,
1: guys, thank you so much. Nick, Nicole, Adam, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Much appreciated. Thanks, Gary. Nice Thanks, John. Thank, thank, thank you. Huge thank you to all the coaches for jumping on. If you enjoyed this panel type discussion, please let me know. Gary at modernsoccercoach.com, Twitter at Gary Kernan, Instagram at Gary Kernan, and Modern Soccer Coach on Instagram. Let me know what you think. Also, please check out the high school virtual conference on January 8th, ModernSoccerCoach.com shop. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kurnine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.